0: This is, this is actually radio, right? This is, this is not video. Right. You don't have a card in front of you with this?
1: <laughs> no. Yes, my friends. I have no card in front of me. Welcome to the Robcast. Another episode, and I'm going to introduce you to a friend of mine who will be a friend of yours within moments, because you know how that works. Um, and all you friends in Texas and Oklahoma, I am coming your way this weekend. All new Everything is Spiritual Tour. And uh, these are makeup dates from last fall. Back That was two variants ago, peoples. So Saturday night, Oklahoma City. Sunday night, Austin. Monday night, the Majestic Theater in Dallas, Texas. So um, I know this episode will come out, and those shows will be just a couple days later. But as always, it's just better when you're there. And then a couple weeks ago, I released an audiobook called Grabbing the Bag. A few thoughts on money and uh, it's three hours of me giving you uh new language new ways to understand what money is and especially language for how to talk about it with people partners kids people in business and art that um that's a part of it and how do you talk about handling it and holding it in ways um that everybody makes sense to everybody so that's what that is grabbing the bag that's out now And uh, now, oh, man, we're in the back house with Christian Washington. Welcome. Hey, it's good to be here. I mean, how long have we been friends? At least 2017. 16?
0: At least.
1: Six or seven years?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, we have had more conversations where I have been like, oh,
0: God, that was gold. Oh, everybody should hear that. Yeah, usually after a riot or a <laughs> natural disaster. Or-
1: I remember the um at the end of our street here, right, they were firing rubber bullets. The police were into the crowd um, during the George Floyd protests, mm-hmm. and you and I were on the phone. We were talking, on the phone talking. And I was like, Hey, um, they literally are holding up guns and the crowd is like surging down Beverly North on Fairfax. And you're like, Hey man, you something like,
0: Hey, if you need to head north <laughs> <laughs> If you need to get out of there, <laughs> probably so. I'm like, dude, this is not this. This is a this is a classic difference between white people and black people moment. <laughs> white people run to the fire, you know. <laughs> Ooh, what's going on? Let's go see this. Hey, 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 they're shooting bullets, Christian. I'm going to check it out. You know. <laughs> now, if if your black friend Christian was there, <laughs> I would have been one going. Uh, you need to get home inside with the dog and low, <laughs> because what goes up comes down. And, you know, who knows what's going on? It's like at this point, it might be just open season on six foot three white guys. I don't know. It just (laughs) could happen Because you
1: were, I'm giving you the play by play. There's a car on fire (laughs) and you're not remotely curious. Not at all. (laughs) You're giving me a master class in, Rob, curiosity in certain spheres of life is the engine of wonder and awe and generative creativity in other areas of life. Curiosity is like just dumb and actually dangerous.
0: Hey, yeah, definitely. It's at least from, uh, from my world and my perspective, uh, there is absolutely no way you run into yeah. the issue. As a matter of fact, it's a very well-known thing that um, if you're around black folk in a crowd and one person starts to run, we all start to run. We'll, we'll figure out why later, but if yeah. people start running... We're gone. Trust it. We're yeah. Trust trust it. the group. Trust the group. We're going. We're going out, and you know we'll usually be running past you going towards it. You know, So with the iPhones up. <laughs> what? I'm, look, I'm, look at look at him. I'm look here, at what dude. This guy's doing. I'm here. Yeah.
1: Okay. So let's go way back because yeah. I remember the first time you told me your parents fostered um not a ba- not a you ba- was abandoned but infants yeah born in, well, in Compton.
0: Born in Los Angeles, yeah.
1: Born in Los Angeles, your parents were part of the foster system when a baby was born and the mother just left the hospital.
0: That's exactly right, which is my story as well. Uh, I'm, I'm number 29 of 29 kids they fostered. Um, my mother, uh, unfortunately, wasn't able to have children. Uh, and somewhere around the, a certain point in their marriage, my, my mother and father said, okay, well, uh, there's other ways to do this. And, and they went through the foster care system first to foster children. And it turns out that uh, during the baby boom and into the exes, there were a lot of babies abandoned, especially a county, what is, what is now County USC Hospital. So my mother became a bit of a specialist. If you, a child that was abandoned at birth, no more than three months old, they placed them with people like my mother, like our family, and uh, they'd keep them until they were placed with a family usually a, a newborn or someone that young gets placed a lot, at a much higher rate than an older child so um over the over the course of 11 years they uh, they first got uh, my my sister who they adopted who's not my biological sister but they got her 11 years before me and then 27 more between her and I and then and they adopt they adopted the first one and the 29 and the last.
1: What, did they ever explain
0: why the two of you? Uh, the the old story was there's this, there's this baby picture of me that is my screensaver. I don't know if you can see that. But yeah. there's a baby picture of me that's my screensaver. And they said when they saw me and they got me, I looked just like that. They said, that's our little buddy. We can't, we can't give him up. Let's just, let's just do this. And um, I think the real story was my dad was done with it. He was like, you know what? <laughs> this is the last one. We have constant. Can one of them grow up? You know. So. Um, well, I imagine yeah. it would rip their heart out every time, at some level. You know, I unfortunately I never asked my mother that question. I never asked her that question. I know that she felt like a certain. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's like a calling to do a it, a gift and a service. You're in, in a. Thing you're doing for everybody, so there's something within you. Yeah. Like, okay, this was the gift I'm giving.
0: Exactly right. And then the and, uh, new
1: parents show up, and yeah,
0: and and it's I, I don't know. I think also they they I think she liked the newness of it. Every time it was yeah. a, a new a new child, a new a new um, life to 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 affect and uh, and hopefully put in, into a good and put in a good direction.
1: When how old are you? And did did they tell you that that's what happened? That that's
0: I learned all that at seventeen. Oh really? Oh yeah. Yeah. How did they tell you? Well, when they when I was 7, I am told they tried to tell me that I was adopted. Now at this point, I'm almost I'm basically an only child. My sister's 11 years older. She's a cheerleader in high school. She's doing all the high school stuff and trying to make sure kids didn't think I was her kid. So she had nothing to do with me. I was home alone. Because
1: in in Compton South Center where you lived, yeah. that that would have not been an oh, unusual. Not unusual. Okay.
0: There's a nursery at the school, at the high school.
1: Yeah. So you have you have distinct memories of your sister like distancing herself. Oh, from you.
0: absolutely. I, I still have uh one good memory of being in um one of those I, I don't know. I, I think I was I remember being in the cart at the supermarket and someone saying your little boy looks just like you and my sister saying that is not my little boy that's my little brother you know kind of thing. and and i remember just being very demonstrative like that mm-hmm. is not my mm-hmm. little boy uh so um yeah i remember that that's one of my I one of my earliest memories with my sister but um it was it was uh at 7 they tried to tell me uh i had a a, a time in therapy not long ago where um, I was with my therapist and actually a repressed memory came back. And it was them telling me and me having a complete meltdown, just on the floor, on the, on the ground, saying, take it back, take it back, take it back. It's not true, it's not true, it's not true. I'm six, seven years old or so. And um, and I remember them saying, kind of, take it back. You know, take it back, I, we take it back. And they didn't tell me again until I was a freshman in college at 17, um, and it, that moment, um, that is absolutely the first time I believed that God existed, that there was some divine, something beyond this. Because my scientific brain at the time couldn't do the math and come up with any kind of odds of my life turning out the way it had. I'd been really blessed. and I'm in a good school. I'd gone to prep school. I'd done a lot of things. And um, and here I was now. And I think, I think because they told me when I was seven, I always kind of knew somewhere. So it wasn't uh, like yeah, this yeah. shock, shock, but it was this moment of of clarity that I wasn't a Christian or anything. I didn't believe I didn't believe necessarily the Jesus story, but I did believe that God. You know, this what is it existed? about seventeen
1: that they told you? What was the
0: event? My mother actually uh, was dealing with depression, and her therapist told her, "If you don't tell your son, part of your part of your problem is you're afraid he's going to reject you. You're afraid he's going to not love you or not." be oh, your be your wow. son anymore which is why you've been holding off on this all this time and um, and literally she called me one night I was in school she called me and said come home now I was in, I was in La Jolla California uh, which is about a 3 hour drive two and a half I made it in my two and I got to the house at night maybe around midnight and she just grabs me and won't let me go and says in my ear I just need you to know your father and I love you We'll always love you. You are our son. But I need to tell you that you're adopted. And then she just held me and sobbed. And um. And I don't know. At that moment, I went from being a raging agnostic to believing that something had to be behind the providence of my life and how I ended up in this woman's arms and not, you know, and, Truth be told, I I won't won't go into a lot of detail, but I just did DNA Ancestry a few weeks ago. I got my results um, a month ago, and tomorrow I'm meeting a biological uh, relative for the first time. I have a biological cousin who might be my sister. We're not sure if she's my sister or my cousin, or my sister or my niece. We're not sure yet, who lives in Palos Verdes. And we are going to meet at a cheesecake factory and, and I'm going to just see what the other side is.
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah. So you text me and tell me you're in town visiting your in-laws and I'm like, why don't you come over and well, let's do a Robcast. <laughs> and you come over today. <laughs> oh.
0: And I'm meeting my first biological family member tomorrow.
1: Um, How do you feel about that?
0: Ah, uh, weird.
1: Because the look on your face is like nineteen different
0: uh, I'm, feelings. I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm really all over. the place. She's been phenomenal. Uh, a couple of other people that I that were that popped up, have we haven't really connected yet. Yeah, uh, haven't heard back yet. But but this one family member has been phenomenal. She's excited about it, more excited than me. And um, uh, it's it's quite a story. It's quite oh, a story already. God, that
1: man. <laughs> I knew if we hit record, we started talking. Look, all, every time we're talking, I'm like, at some point we're just going to stitch all this together and have a conversation and record it. But you just did that. If oh, we, man. Yeah, yeah, and I, I okay. can tell
0: you, I can tell you, yeah. God is good. <laughs> the, the, the way my life has worked out has been, yeah, you know, uh, a, a real good thing.
1: Uh, okay, so let's go yeah. back earlier. Yeah, sure. You, uh, I have this running joke with a friend of mine about nice g- guy name? Like, we would sit around and be like, what's a nice guy name? We'd be like, oh, Tim. Oh, of course. You're never like, oh, yeah, Tim stole that car. Oh, no, no, no. Paul. All oh, right, Paul, that guy, hair part on the side, plaid <laughs> shirt, Paul. We we had a running joke, this friend of mine, for years. And then there's, like, names of dudes who just... Russell, everybody's Jimmies. You're like, Kyle. Oh, that guy's just trouble. <laughs> Simon, that guy, keep your phone close. So I had this running joke. And then one day you say, Oh, yeah, m- my mom named me Christian because it was the safest white guy name. And I and having a running joke with a friend of mine, and then having you be like, No, oh, no, no, no. My mom actually tried to give me the safest white guy name.
0: Absolutely.
1: What? Christian and what's middle name Matthew. Oh, oh God, that's like the pantheon.
0: Come uh, on now.
1: And when did she explain Chris to you? Chris and Matt. You know, I'm a Chris or a Matt. It's gonna happen. Oh, huh? Chris and Matt are like going to a student government conference.
0: Absolutely. they we we are like <laughs> Niedermeyer and Marmalard mowing
1: lawns for free in the
0: neighborhood. <laughs> Eagle Scouts. That's right. Chris Matt.
1: Okay. Christian Matthew. When did she tell you that she had given you that name?
0: First for, for oh, oh. safety. You you find all these things out through the gossipy aunt. My aunt Daisy, my mother's sister, who passed away, uh, was the one who used to tell me everything. You know. Now some of it is lore. Now some of it is, is complete myth. Because now that I'm starting to find out more about my biological, even the things that she told me, I'm wondering about. But that was one of them. That that. Uh, oh, when they were naming you and and they decided they're going to keep you. That was one of the key things was, remember, this is Compton, California, you know, in the, in the, I guess the midst of gang warfare, gang, gang, gang things really popping up and happening. And, and you're going to be raising a a young dark chocolate little boy in the middle of that. And we will get to it. I'm sure my, my mother's whole, her whole, function as a parent was to teach me to survive this world yep. all she wanted me to do was make it home safe every day that was that was her whole thing so in that case she thought okay well uh, what's a name that one day if he's pulled over or if he has his name on a resume or if he's someone calls out his name no one's gonna go oh my gosh here we go uh, and and so she she gave me as, Anglo, a name as she could come up with, as biblical and Christian a name as she could.
1: She's like playing it out, decades down the road in a job interview. Yep, you're operating a motor vehicle and get like she's like way down the road on it. Yes, right. Now, was uh, was your world? Was everybody black, pretty much? Oh, sure. Your
0: neighborhood, yeah. School, Compton store, Compton in the late '60s, early '70s. Everyone's black, Um, and. Uh, the, the myth about Compton is that everyone's poor. Um, Compton is, is a bit of a, was built as a little suburb, uh, where a lot of military families lived. Uh, so most people in Compton grew up in a house. Mm -hmm. There aren't really a whole lot of uh, apartment buildings. There aren't a whole lot of, there aren't any projects per se in Compton proper. So I grew up with, but everyone I looked at except for the principal of the school and the Dean of the students. And my first and second grade teacher. Um, most it turns out most of the teachers were the hippies from the '60s, who went to big colleges and decided I want to teach in the inner city, and so we had all these um, mostly Jewish teachers and administrators in Compton. Did they live? They live somewhere else and drove in. Absolutely, lived somewhere else. <laughs> and how?
1: Like uh, how safe? like to walk around your neighborhood for you as a kid, safe?
0: Uh, You know, everybody you're playing, playing sports with everybody. Yeah. Fairly safe, fairly safe. We moved because um, in, in my sixth grade year I got threatened by a gang member. Um, um, It turns out I got into a little bit of a tiff with his little brother who was my age. And, um, and my mouth got me in, in a little bit more heat than uh, my body could handle uh, and I started having to run home from school every day, every day, the last part of the semester. Um, and literally like sometimes they'd get as close as my, my yard and I was very fast and i make it home and my dad was always packing. <laughs> I was very fast. So you don't want to deal with Mr. Washington. So I do, if I could get to my yard. And everybody knew that. Uh, everybody knew Mr. Washington. Yeah. Did every,
1: how many people were packing on your street? All the dads? Everybody. So that was standard.
0: Absolutely. And
1: yeah. your dad had a, had a gun because of kids like this kid and this kid's brother
0: because yeah because of the world that he grew up in and the world that we were in my dad was always packing he had a 38 in his pocket he had a, um um a 45 in the car always
1: and that was just like baseline baseline yeah
0: just- shoot it on the 4th of july you know kind of thing but you know just to get the thing to work i don't remember him going to ranges or anything like that but he always he was always armed and it was, was not about aim and accuracy. It was about presence. It was about it was about <laughs> the threat. It was yeah. the pull you you know just pull your jacket, pull the open, jacket and open and let just let them know. So they knew you don't want to go in Mr. Washington's uh <laughs> his front yard. So if, but if you if you could catch buddy, which was my nickname, if you could catch buddy before then you could really mess him up before he got home. And uh and I was I I just became very very good at dodging them and getting to the house. Thankfully they never they weren't going to shoot me. It wasn't a I'm gonna kill this kid, offense. But it was gonna be—I yeah. was gonna get beat up every day. And my mm-hmm. parents decided this is enough of this. It's only gonna get worse. Christian's mouth is not gonna get better. <laughs> 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 so we need to get this kid and that mouth out of this neighborhood. And uh, so we moved from there to basically South Central Los Angeles. You know. Um, and, and how
1: different was that?
0: Not very. Uh, it was. Um, it was different at first. Uh, the reverse of gentrification was happening though, it was uh, black people moving in and white people moving out. In this case, white and and Japanese people moving out. I, w- I lived in the uh, southwest part of town. And, Did they
1: call it reverse gentrification at that point?
0: Uh, not, a, not. That was a not, known not thing. Not a, everybody was talking about. It's, it's, yeah, it's called white flight. Yeah, uh, that, that's that's the the, the popular yeah. way yeah, of yeah, pu- yeah. putting it. But it was it was just. It was part of the gentrification cycle. There is always a moment when it's like, let's devalue what's close in we'll move out in the suburbs for a little while. We'll our country house. We'll do the country house. We'll do the country thing for a while. And then eventually the gentry will come back when everything is depressed. And then and then as they come back in, prices go up, taxes go up, people can't afford the taxes. They move out to those same suburbs. That they that the uh, the gentry has left and moved in. in well, so we're just we were part of what happened in white flight in Southwest LA. Um, kind of nice houses, nicer house, nicer neighborhood, but quickly became more lower income, more more tra- more drugs, more traffic, more more things like that. Um, over the course of time, we lived there.
1: You like- have forever changed. Right, just now, I just realized what you just did. You forever changed the term gentrification for me because now instantly I'll be like the gentry because <laughs> that hey. gives all the time well that area is getting gentrified you know that area whatever but i'm like oh wait 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 there's a there's the gentry well the, somewhere in there well
0: what i love about the term gentry which is not a lovable thing but what i love about the term is that it doesn't necessarily mean it's a white person it's just the people with the means to with move means. in like um, my wife and i were pioneers in a neighborhood that was pretty bad 20 years ago. And now it's considered the most, tone, like the tony neighborhood of Houston called the Heights. But when we moved there, there are feral dogs running around, no offense, Sarah. there are feral dogs um, <laughs> moving around everywhere, and now there's five dog parks within a mile of us. I mean, it's just turned over like that, uh, and our property, uh, uh, property values have gone up crazy. But it's, we, that's it, Joanne, we're the gentry.
1: You're, you're right, right.
0: We, we have become the gentry. My mother would be so proud.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when you so there's your everyday life. Did your parents get you in the car and go to white areas?
0: No, 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 no. Um, my mother was born in 1926, so when they started fostering and adopting children, they were much older. So the people thought they were my grandparents.
1: So, oh. um, so
0: my parent, my mother grew up in um, in a rural part of Texas called Quero. She went to the the colored schoolhouse. Then she matriculated into uh, Tillotson College, which is now Houston Tillotson College, a historically black college, the colored college in Austin, Texas. So UT's across the across the highway, and the black college is on the other side. She was at the black college. Um, so she grew up in a, in a she grew up in straight up Jim Crow America. I mean, she grew up in separate but unequal. She saw all kinds of violence. She saw all kinds of inequity. That was the norm for her. Um, so coming to California. Uh, she met a guy in her sophomore year of college who was a, uh, a, a guy in the military who said, I want to marry you and move you to California. And she said, California is a place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and they moved to Compton. Um, and it turns out Jim Crow lives in California, too. Uh, that they thought they were going away from the South and the oppression and, and the violence and the, and the racism of the South. And they found the same kind of segregation here um just nicer weather and you know the ability to find a good job and that's that's how they that's how they ended up here and it it's um it's interesting because she grew up in an era where a high school diploma growing up black in the south was like college today i mean we're talking about grammar school we're talking about etiquette um my mother was the emily post of compton you know, un- never crowned that, but she was clearly the Emily Post of Postal Compton. If you ever met her, um, spoke the king's English. Very, very, very what seldom. Would be
1: what would be a phrase or a sentence she would say?
0: Um, she, 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 we went to see the, um, the Queen Mary once when I was a little kid, little big kid, and she looked up and said, you see how those, those portholes on the side, it looks like something's protruding out of them. I'm six, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Protruding. She'd say words like precipice. Her favorite word was perhaps. I mean, she loved perhaps. (laughs) So so at the table, if you said a great word, if you said a new word, a vocabulary word, you got rewarded for that. My mother would say, oh, good word. Good word, and I love the good word thing. So it was; it became a big thing with us. The vocabulary was was big, but I, I learned that at home. I learned that with Dorothy Washington. It was get home at night, be in top, be in, in in um in your seat at six p.m. for dinner. The three of us would eat dinner every night. Uh, it was the table set was like a restaurant table setting, so I knew where the forks were, the knives were, the I knew where the soup spoon was. I I always had to keep one hand under the table and I never could sing or anything. I mean, it was all this stuff being pumped into me from day one. I never spent any time, uh, other than my mother taking us to a winery in Santa Barbara once that I can remember. But it wasn't because she exposed me a whole lot to other people. She didn't have to. My mother was as proper a person as you've ever met. And she had had this...
1: California, for her, had been like this land of potential and promise. Yeah. And then she got to live that dream only to find out that it was sunshine, but the same the same old oppression and yeah. systemic everything. I
0: mean, she got here in time for Kennedy, King, Malcolm, Robert assassinations. Um, mm. Burn, baby, burn in the 60s. She was here for that. She was here for the riots after King died. She, um, I remember one of one set of riots in 1969. I was a little kid and we got up on top of the house to watch the supermarket in our neighborhood burning down. And it turns out that was King had been killed. And, and so all this is popping off and my mother's watching all this stuff and she's going from being colored to a Negro to being black in all this time in this era. And it, and it, it made her afraid, and in particular, it made her afraid for me. You know, um, she had a, a dark chocolate um, African-looking kid who was going to grow up in this in this world, and especially in this area where all this police brutality is happening, where all these uh, racial unrest is happening, and we're in this huge change and shifting racially in America. And she she was scared to death for me every day.
1: What was your first? experience was your first experience of police her warning you or your actual interaction
0: with police uh it start it starts with her warning me um there's a, there's a thing that anybody who's uh of color especially anybody black who's listening is going to know what i'm talking about it, and all i have to do is say two words the talk uh the talk uh and, and, and it's unfortunate It's 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 tragic the fact that we still have to give kids the talk, but the, the talk is something I talked about in a piece I wrote, but um, my mother sat me down and taught me how to, um, to behave if I'm ever stopped by the police so that I wouldn't get beat up or killed. And it started with um, the first thing she'd say is you got to have your hands at 10 and two, make sure they can be seen, make sure that just you don't make any sudden movements Once they start walking up on you, do not say anything unless you're spoken to and keep your hands on the wheel where they can be seen. If they ask you to reach for something, tell them, I am reaching into my pocket for my license, or I am reaching into the glove box. Is it okay for me to reach into the glove box? Make sure you speak as proper English as you can so he'll think you're one of the good ones. It's very important. One one of the good ones. One of the good ones. So in her mind,
1: there's Multiple categories.
0: In her mind, in the mind of the majority, in the mind of especially of of white cops, uh, at that time, you're talking about the 70s now, uh, at that time, she's thinking at any moment, they will see you as a threat. There's a weaponization of blackness, a weaponization especially of black men. I happen to be six feet, but I was probably about five, nine, five, ten through high school. I've never been a small, small guy. Um, which can be um, both intimidating and off-putting depending on the, the person that you're, you're, you're across from who has the authority and a gun. Uh, so the idea is they're good ones and they're the bad ones. Um, there are very few good ones, but the good ones are going to sound like us. The good ones are going to be deferential and say yes, sir, and no, sir. Always say yes, sir, and no, sir. Always keep your hands where they can be seen and the more you can make that person feel like they are the authority figure and you are subserv- subservient to them, the better chance you have of getting home. Because the bottom line is that, no, whatever they say to do, I've been pulled out of cars and told to lay on the ground. I'm wearing a suit coming from a nightclub or something, or coming from a party in college, and I'm they're telling me, lay on the ground, and the ground's wet, and it's wet grass. Just lay face down on the ground. Uh, we've been pulled out of a car Me and my best friend Coming from a, a party up in Berkeley And, and out they, they, they pulled us out of the vehicle Had us sit on the curb uh, Two other vehicles uh, pulled up So they had long guns trained on us From two angles While we're sitting there two, two guys Two black guys Dressed really well And then they came up to us And opened our lips To see our teeth To check if we had gold teeth because the perpetrators of a 7-Eleven robbery around the corner were two black guys with gold teeth. Now, we're two black college students. Yes, we're two black guys, and we're in a car. Uh, And that was probable cause to pull us out, set us down, and check us like we're horses.
1: And you're uh, 18 or 19 at that point?
0: 19. uh, 19, maybe not even 20. 19, not even 20. And I'm enraged, yeah. But I'm also trained for the moment, because all I'm hoping is that my best friend doesn't pop off and say something.
1: Because you don't know if his mom gave him the talk.
0: It turns out his mom gave him the talk too. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> still, we're both talking. I'm hearing. Yeah. I'm hearing. He's alive right now yeah. because we both got the talk. But we sat there. And we knew this was wrong. We knew where we'd come from. We knew that they had no, no right to search. We we could have gone, we, we felt like, oh, gosh, we've got the equipment. We know what we know. We know this is fairly illegal. Everything is happening right now. And yet all we could think about is that if we say the wrong thing, if we look at somebody in the eye, if we had, if we had recoiled when they tried to open our lips or something and look at our teeth, uh, we're at least going to get beat down. And, and then, you know, and then at, th- at that point, anything could happen, because again, they're long guns trained on us. We're in suits. Back then, everybody wore a suit to go out. We're in suits, which means that we could be hiding a- some kind of you know, they could always say, we thought he was reaching for something. Yeah. Um, I remember when they, uh, they got a call saying that they'd found the guys. All this happened in maybe five minutes. They got a call saying, they found the guys." they didn't say a word to us, they jumped in their vehicles and sped off and left us on the curb. And we sat there in silence for what felt like an hour. We probably were there for a couple of minutes, but we sat there in silence. We couldn't look at each other. We couldn't move. And all we wanted to do, I think, if I remember correctly, my friend got up and he started punching the air. Just like, just the rage of how unjust that was. But it was exactly what my mother predicted and knew nothing that happened there was anything my mother did not anticipate, and and as you as you said before, she was playing chess. She was ahead of the game, and she had prepared me for that moment and for those types of moments. Um, but there are much larger um, things going on inside a person's psyche, and inside a per- inside of me that um, that found their way into. The way I saw the world and, and and the way that I've I've moved through the world for so long, um, that have not served me well.
1: Um. Yes, I want to explore those. Let me, what, yeah. How old were you when the she gave you the talk?
0: Uh, I got my driver's license I got my learner's permit at fifteen, so I must have been fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah. So as soon as I could drive. And
1: were your first experiences like that with police right around that age? Seventeen. 17 is when you start having the stories.
0: Yeah, because I was, I was, I played a lot of sports and I didn't do a whole lot of, uh, social things. And I mean, literally it was like the first or second time I'd ever gone out to a dance or a party at someone's house and I'm coming home from the party at someone's house. And that was the time we got pulled out and put on the grass. And, um, and I didn't tell my mother.
1: I was going to ask my next question.
0: Did you, have you over the years? Never. I never told her, uh, I always felt like it was, I always felt like my mother was a bit fragile with regard to me anyway. And it turns out she did have some mental illness issues that, that reared up much later, but, uh, I made it home safely. That's the only thing I wanted my mother to know. Yeah. And, um, I did not want her to have to like double down on her, on her worry, um, with me being away from home and, um, anytime I left the house kind of thing. Uh, And what she, and truthfully what she had taught me worked. And, um, and it's the reason why my, my best friend and I made it home. I mean, we just um, code switched our way out of it.
1: Code switched our way out of it because it's this violation. It's this gross injustice, but then you aren't, there's no recourse sitting there on the curb. There's nothing like you're literally the image of your friend punching the air. There's, you can't like fill out a form. I mean, you could like go down and be like, "Hey, I had," the, but in those days, at that moment, I assume there's like a, a sense of powerlessness, and yet you aren't. Yet you are like the whole system.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was uh, at, at UC San Diego where I was. Um, we had something called Campus Black Forum, which was essentially a group counseling session with the head of psychology, it was it happened to be a black man, uh, Dr. Phil Raphael, and essentially it was. The make me want to holla session. Uh, people, I assume people like telling terrible stories. It's, it's,
1: it's, did it become like a
0: who tops who? It's, it's, it's it's the current Robcast that we're doing right now (laughs) every week with like 10 people all telling their stories at the same time of just what happened that week, you know. So, and then we was that
1: helpful and cathartic, or was it just keep the keep? Oh,
0: so helpful. Oh, wow. Okay. It's so helpful. I mean, um, you think about things like, um, Truth and Reconciliation Commission in, in South Africa. Yes. Here I am, on a, I am on a tangent, but there are no tangents. There are no tangents. Um, <laughs> the, the genius of it was the ability for people to say, you hurt me. You did something wrong to me. But people think about it and they say, oh, it's because the 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 guard can say, well, it was my job, but I'm sorry. And you finally get someone saying you're sorry. No, it's someone believes you when you say you were wronged. That was the that was the genius of it. That was the thing that really made for reconciliation, going into that circle and having people believe your story, and uh, not you were drunk or you were high or you did this wrong or where were you guys you at the time? You started it. You, you were the one who. It. You, okay, how were got you it. driving? What were you doing? Yeah. Not, not none of that stuff. You can go in this room and in this room, you tell your story and it's true. And people go, Yeah, that. As a matter of fact, not only is that true, but not only do I believe you, but here's mine. Here's my story. Yeah. That made it, it was huge for us.
1: Because that's my Black friends, the stories are always these experiences where your jaw is sort of on the ground of like, wait, they said what? They did what? They, and it's, it's a hard, like the stories are so, God, they're so violating, but without anything to like get your hands on in terms of what. But like that is a circle where people are just. This is what happened. Next yeah. person, this is what happened. Yeah. And is that the first time you'd been in a setting where the original Doctor Phil, um, <laughs> Doctor Phil before Doctor Phil? Yeah. Um. Is that the first time you'd been in that sort of circle, led by somebody like that who knew what to do with the stories? You know, it's, it's it, was, it was it? the
0: first time I I really felt that I needed to be in one. Oh, uh, I remember. Yeah. Uh, from zero to seventeen, all I'd seen were black people. All black high school, all black middle school, all black elementary school. Then you go to UC Berkeley. Well, then I go to. I, I, then I spend a term at Phillips Andover, outside of Boston, this real Tony boarding school. When you're school. in high school, yeah,
1: you leave Compton, and
0: you go to you know, Andover, Massachusetts. To that and over
1: why <laughs> because of academic performance yeah well, well yeah it
0: was, it was academics there were four of us that are we had a a, a, high, a college counselor at washington high school who uh filled out the paperwork signed it signed the financial aid form <laughs> you're just going and you, you said you, to your parents i'm your gonna parents, go
1: do some high school on the east
0: coast yeah i'm going to this boarding school on the east coast that i'd never heard of
1: how in the world did your mom give the green light on that
0: um, that counselor told her it's the best school in America, your kid can handle it, and it'll change his life.
1: And what's it like when you get there? <laughs> you go from your world to that white, oh, very hierarchical, structured, achievement-oriented, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera world.
0: Yeah, school six days a week, living in a dorm with... Coat uh, and tie? Uh, thankfully, no. Okay. Thankfully, no. But um, living in a dorm with Hunts and DuPonts and Kennedys, you know, it was... Um,
1: Did you go by the name Buddy or Christian there?
0: I was Chris. Uh, Chris. Chris, C-Dub. C-Dub. Most people actually called me L.A. Because I, I walked in Dodger Hat and, do- yeah. you know, L.A. paraphernalia, and from that point on, I was L.A. But C-Dub or L.A. And... Um, the interesting thing is I got there and the people of color who were there were generally speaking, uh, royalty from another country, um, or wealthy African-Americans. Um, and, and I, I was on no one's social registry. <laughs> I, uh, it the, the big shock for me was that I didn't immediately make a lot of make bl- friends with the black kids. The kids who became my friends were Jewish. Um, and, uh, I, I played on a basketball team and and so the upper crust kids thought, okay, he's a scholarship kid. He's a jock. He's here to help us beat Exeter, which we did. Uh, <laughs>
1: you, had, you had year decades later, you yeah, have to you have to mention that. gotta
0: get it in. <laughs> there's a still there's a little landover in me. There's a little Phillips in me. but uh, but yeah, the big rival, we beat them., uh, but the other thing that was the key, that I learned there was uh, I got the top grade in trigonometry that that summer i got the second highest grade in um reading and writing competence in reading and writing the the re, reading the, uh, written, the english course so i, I was just, i was effectively like third or fourth in the class academically and i got kudos for that well, i wasn't used to that i I, thought, I i used to try to hide my intellect in, in behind sports behind basketball football tennis
1: because it wasn't valued in the world,
0: no, that you no, came from. No. Because it was no, it wasn't cool. It was it, it, the kids who were in in classes with me all through high school. Eight of us who took AP courses and everything. It's just eight of us. We saw each other every day, all the time. The rest of them were much more, much less social. I wanted to be. A, I wanted to be on a football team. I wanted to be on the, 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 t- yeah. the, the captain of the tennis team. I wanted to be the a guy who was a regular guy. I didn't want to be this set-apart, set-aside guy, because it, it, there seems there were no kudos in that, it seemed, and look, there was no popularity, and there were no girls. <laughs> Let me just, you know, let's just call it what it is. <laughs> Whereas at Andover, all of that comes your way when you're actually killing it in the classroom. You know, teachers like you, yeah, Everyone, I'm like, wait a minute. It, it changed my, I said, like, being smart is cool. You know? Mind-blowing idea. Mind-blowing idea. For me, for me it was. Uh, and I get home. um and 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 I you know the rest of it's kind of a blur. I go right from there to, to college. Um, it was just not the kind of experience for me where i I was in a whole lot of uh, put in a lot of positions where I was encountering white cops or white people at all until college, uh, except for Andover, which was, yeah, again, it's very surreal. It's a different kind of environment. um I. I I got exposed to real wealth for the first time, uh, and and realized that wealth was not about being ostentatious and and everything you put on your back and and being able to show off and and that kind of thing. That that was that I clearly know what nouveau riche means. Yes, right, uh, right, but, right, right, But the the folks who would take me to Short Hills, New Jersey, with them to meet their parents and hang out, uh, they had regular cars and one story houses and what have you. Now they might have another place in France and they have a vineyard in in Tuscany. But, but they, they don't show you the, any of this stuff. And and it's just, we're comfortable, it's the way we live. And we end up giving up a lot, giving away a lot of our money for things that are important. I mean, I got to see philanthropy for the first time. And I got to see what people who, where money was not an issue. I got to see how they lived. All those things I, I realized now were uh, foundational for me, you know, going forward and just seeing how high I could go or seeing the things I would be able to do in life Um, If I had had not had that experience, it would have been very, very different for me, and I would have had a much more myopic or smaller view of what was possible. My mother, uh, just quick, quick back to my mom for a moment. My mother thought if she could get me out of high school without a child, without a criminal record, and not on drugs, A plus, she's done it. She's, that, that was all she was trying to do. No criminal record, no
1: drugs, no kid. For
0: her, that was like she did it. I've done it. We won. We've won. You, know, you can go work at the post office. Whatever you're going to do is fine after that. That's all gravy. We got you out of high school you know, a whole person. And, and, and so there was never any pressure. There was never any kind of uh, expectation beyond what I just said. The expectation was finish high school, no, no criminal record, no drug problem, no kids, good. You got. You're, you're set up for a good life now. However, that goes.
1: So, so I mean, when I think about how human being, how my, how human beings grow and expand, yeah. You come back to Compton from Phillips Andover. Mm-hmm. You have, I mean, you have just inhaled a world so much larger than the world of your mother, the world of your home. Oh, sure. Does that leave you like a man without a country? Like, who do I talk to about this? I
0: Does that leave you that like... That is a really good question. All right. All right. So on one hand... How do you begin to explain to your parents? Well, on one hand, you got to remember this. My mother would have, was was, until she married my dad, which was like, Why'd you do that? But I, I love my dad, but it was like, it was, my mother was on track to become like in the black elite, the black upper middle class. She was going to get, she was in college. She had, she had, which was groundbreaking for her yeah, generation. Yeah. In in, in the forties, she was in college. So it was like, oh my gosh. Oh, um, uh, god. Yeah. So my it. mother prepared me for this. My mother, it, it turns out, while she may not have ever been able to dream of me in college or dream of me on Wall Street or dream of me where I am now, She wouldn't be dreaming any of that stuff. But what she could dream was that I would be this articulate, um, well-spoken, and um, well-thought-of man by all of humanity. She was creating (laughs) that, that. She was creating that child. And so Andover wasn't as hard for me as, as, as it would have been for other people who had gone there thinking, i got to figure out how to talk right. I've got to figure out how to walk right. I all
1: that was how I was. A bunch of it. the codes were already, already I you was, already knew those.
0: Yeah, I was, I was there already. And um, so so it the hard part, which is what you caught, was coming home and being back in my inner city school again and and watching around me people who could not even fathom what were what were the opportunities and would think, no, this is as far as we're going. This is this is this is what it is. This is this is the life that's been handed to us and by whatever um, I I can't fathom all those things you you're talking about. College, grad school. What what's that? I mean Wall Street? No, we we don't do Wall Street. You know?
1: When so- did you first be like I want to work on Wall Street? Was that a thing that came up quite early?
0: Um, business, it came up when uh, I was sitting on a bench at a uh, playing basketball in college and realizing that I'm not going to play pro basketball, (laughs) I'm not going to play pro basketball. And 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 I and the first, I think I I took organic chemistry and realized I wasn't going to be a doctor uh, because I just Didn't it just didn't take just that the whole idea of being a doctor and and, which is what I had gone to school to be a doctor. I said, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a physician. This is what I'm going to do. I've been saying this since I was a little kid just to say it. But um, I got my first year of college in my dorm. My next door neighbor. I'm sorry. My roommate lived next door to the Hearst family in uh, northern California
1: of the San Simeon Hearst newspaper as in Hurst. Sam Simeon yeah as oh, in Patty Hearst as in Hearst
0: papers oh. uh my next door neighbor his next door neighbor was that, was that family and he was an economics major from day 1 yeah he was talking about Goldman Sachs Merrill Lynch from day 1 that i he's going to, i'm going to be a broker i'm going to be a, a i'm going to be an investment banker that kind of thing and so i got it from just that the next bed over in the, in the dorm room, all he talked about was money, making money, making money. money. He's got to go and make money. And, but he also had a name and he also had a, a book of business from the day he started and, and what have you. I didn't think about all that stuff. All I thought about was, uh, Jeff says, this is the way to go. This must be the way to go, you know, cause Jeff's the man, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? I'll just, I'm just following Jeff. So, um, my, um, my senior, my my my, my senior year of college, my dad dies on November twenty first. Um, suddenly, mm. I get called, come home. Another one of those long drives, and I drive home really quickly. And dad's gone, and I thoroughly don't remember the rest of that school year. I don't remember mm. a thing. I don't remember going to class. I don't. I don't remember any of it. The one thing I remember was Merrill Lynch was on campus to uh for one of those uh campus recruitment
1: things but it's a cattle call
0: you know kind of thing where everybody's in that goes into the gym and merrill lynch is there and prudential's there and all these other folks are there right and they're recruiting folks for analyst positions right out of college and um and i walk up to the guy who is the merrill lynch guy and i get within about a inch of his face when i finally get up to him i get right up to him and i say um, I don't have the name of these people. I don't have the network of these people that are around here who probably come up to you. But no one here is more hungry than I am to succeed. You and Merrill Lynch will rue the day not you don't hire me <laughs> because I will end up somewhere else. I'll end up at Prudential. I'll end up at, at, at Dean Witter. I'll end up somewhere else. And, and you will wonder, you'll say, we should have hired Chris Washington. And, you um, say that. I said that to his face. Your dad I mean, said this boy, this boy buddy has a mouth on him. he has a mouth on him. <laughs> I and I felt like I had nothing to lose I had to stand out and I could I was told you I was, I was in a fog otherwise. Yeah. Uh the next week I was in one of like their six interviews that they they take you through in a, a simulation where they sit you on a in a place and you're actually on a trading floor and you got to act like you're a trader and you got to figure it out. And I did all that stuff and uh, a month later I was in New York. Yeah, yeah so uh yeah, that was uh it, it was quite a, a whirlwind from Pops Pop's passing to me going, Yeah, I'm going full Jeff. <laughs> you know? Oh god and, and I I beat Jeff there, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like that Jeff was Jeff was in that same line. Going you know. full yeah, he, I got Jeff. I got Merrill. But Jeff,
1: he, there is a safe white guy name. That's top five. Yeah. Jeffrey, obviously put you in a whole other category. Oh, sure. Okay, so let's back up because I you wrote this piece that I read recently. Yeah. About your mother would whisper white people. Uh, she would always say it
0: you know, quietly. I earlier earlier in in this in this in this conversation, I was talking about how my mother saw so many, so many traumatic uh assassinations.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I didn't mention that she also grew up in the rural south Where she saw things like beatings And lynchings and and those types of things um, And she was It was drilled into her in Jim Crow um, Negroes as she would have called it then Need to stay in their place you Stay in your place Getting out of your place Is something that can get you hurt Killed, fired, all those kinds of things Just Life and death Stay in your place you know, uh, back to the uh, apartheid pieces. Stay on your side of town. Stay in your in your in in Soweto. Stay in your your area. It was the same thing with during segregation and during Jim Crow. Um, and out of that, now my mother again finishing school goes to college. My mother was actually tracked to be one of those people who'd be a nurse or a doc or 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 a teacher. You know, which was kind of as high as you could go back then. Um, and she got into a habit of in in mixed company you don't say the word white people out loud now she had she had all kinds of other ways she, like she mostly called white people Chuck oh my god Chuck yeah it's like Chuck wants this neighborhood you know Chuck's trying to move here uh Ch- no ho- Chuck- uh, wait 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 it's short wait. for it's short for um and I think this comes from vaudeville or whatever or or, or black uh, Chitlin circuit kind of uh, comedians who call um they call white people Overseers, Mr. Charlie. Mm-hmm. Mr. Charlie. Uh, uh, Mr. Charlie became euphemistic for white master, white overseer, yeah, white, yeah. white, white man of power, and, and my mother just made it chuck. But um, she was clever. But anytime she'd say the word white people, she'd always whisper it. And then what blew me away was it it occurred to me at a certain point that she'd whisper it even when we're at home by ourselves, at home alone, when no white people are around, she'd still whisper white people. And, you know, Rob, when I talk about how my mother conditioned me and trained me with the talk and with uh, speaking proper English and being able to code switch easily from from slang of, of my neighborhood to to speaking like I'm speaking to you right now, um there's trauma in that too and the the trauma of her childhood the trauma of the world she grew up in which was a world where um white supremacy was not only real but it was dangerous and and, and it was m- malevolent in her in her time to a a moment where she's preparing me for the world the idea that the way that i i defer to a white cop, the idea that I know and, and respect the white version of history I was taught, um, the, the, the conditioning to make white people and white, uh, white men in particular feel comfortable and not threatened by me, while it gave me <laughs> the tools to maneuver, if you yeah. will, and wall street and in whiteboard rooms and in that kind of thing. The other side of it was that it also conditioned me to actually see those things as true. Yeah. And that there's a certain inferiority to being who I am. There's a, there's another tragic story. I mean, it's, it's a, t- it's, it's a story I tell now because I, I, I tell it to connect with people who may see me, hear me, talk to me, and think I'm somebody I'm not. Um, But at six, my mother would have taken a bullet from me. My mother is the most amazing person I've ever met in my life. Dorothy Washington, Dorothy Mitchell Washington is a saint, she's incredible. But she's not infallible. And at six years old, I'm at school, and I'm told by the kids there, because black kids do this, oh, you're dark, you're you're so dark, and they start telling dark jokes, black jokes, you know, teasing me. And it was just part of growing up in Compton. Everybody got it. You're too fat, you're too tall, you're too light, you're too dark, whatever. Everybody gets it. But it was really hurting me because I don't look like my mother. My mother's lighter. Mm. This is around the time they tried to tell me the first time, by the way. My mother's much lighter than me. So I get home from that day and say, Mama, um, they're teasing me because I'm so dark. So they're teasing me because, you know, they're calling me all blacky and they're calling me all this stuff. These are black kids. These are not white kids. These are black kids. They're all black kids. And my mother tells me in a moment of epiphany for her, she thought, well, if you take a bath in the morning and take a bath in the evening and wash yourself really good, you'll eventually get lighter. Now, as almost cussed, but as screwed up a thing as that was... Uh, she's her, making it.
1: She's She's making it up, and she knows she's making it up. She, she knows just, she's making it up. She's, she's just all improving. she's
0: trying to do was get a clean kid out of this deal. She's trying to turn me into a kid who wouldn't. I didn't like taking baths. I didn't like washing up. I was a kid. I was six. Yeah. yeah. Now she turned me into the cleanest kid in the block, the cleanest kid in the school. I washed and washed and washed and washed. But what happens when you wash, and it doesn't come off, and it doesn't get lighter. What was happening with my mother was actually, and I know she wasn't doing this intentionally, but she was reinforcing my inferiority. She's reinforcing the idea, the lie that there's something wrong with me. And there's something about me that I cannot change that makes me less than. And, and it, it takes something from you, some of your self-esteem, your self-worth when you relativize that, that net worth, or sorry, that, that self-worth based on what group you are in. Mm-hmm. So in my group, I have a certain level of worth, but if I'm in this other group or if I'm in, in the public square, my worth then changes based on something I can't change at all. It was effed up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, it, and it messed with me for a long, long time. Fast forward, I'm 13 and my best friend's sister, who's probably listening. <laughs> my best friend's sister is the prettiest girl in the neighborhood. And, and because they were latchkey kids, their mother didn't get home till 4.30. And so we from three o'clock till 4.30, we could go over their house and tear the place up, listen to music, jump around, act crazy. and um And she went from being just a little girl in the neighborhood to being the prettiest girl in the neighborhood like over a summer. And I am enthralled with Leslie. Oh my God. But she's my best friend's sister, which makes her kind of like my sister. So finally, after that summer, every boy tried shot his shot at her, and and she had a new boyfriend every couple of weeks, and then she wouldn't have a boyfriend and that kind of thing. And I would be the one she'd cry. She'd cry on my shoulder. And I got the prettiest girl in the neighborhood crying on my shoulder, and I'm I'm clearly thoroughly in the friend zone at this point. And and I don't want to be. And I'm thirteen, turning fourteen. You got to know I was. Captain a football team, basketball team, played tennis, did the the speeches. I was the kid. I thought I was the man. Uh, And and finally, I get the gumption to say, Leslie, okay, why can't I be your boyfriend? I I want to. Why don't after all this? Let me be your boyfriend. And she didn't blink. She didn't think a nanosecond later, out of her mouth says, Oh no, you can't be my boyfriend. You're ugly. The black won't wash off. At six, at 13 and a half, the prettiest girl in the neighborhood who has all the power of the pretty, Yeah. tells me I'm ugly. I go home, look in the mirror, and from that moment on, what I see in the mirror is the definition of ugly. So you're you're, you're piling these things on uh, over time not to mention something that was already that was also bubbling up below the surface, which was I'm abandoned. So I find out at 17 and I start I believe well, this is so providential God's put me in this family and 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 God must be real and this is great. but below the surface, wait, somebody left me in the hospital. I was that worthless. it is. It is all working together to diminish my personage, my personhood,
1: mm-hmm.
0: at least in my own in, in inside me, and my moves through life reflected that fear that came that if if I ever was a hundred percent myself, if I ever expressed my anger, my rage, my the my, the need for justice, what have you, um, all those things would be uh, thwarted by the fact that I'm not worthy to do any of those things. That I am intrinsically worthless, and um, and it's taken quite a bit of work, you know, to to dig down and even be able to articulate these things that were happening below the surface of a life what people would say is a life well lived. So you you go to school, you go to Wall Street, you marry the the beautiful woman. Joanne's not here, but you marry the beautiful woman. You you uh, you you move to the nice city. You become a partner in the firm. You you get called to ministry, and you go and you become this minister, and you plant this church, and you you have all. But you look at that life and go, well, what's wrong with that? I mean, what's wrong with any of that stuff? Um, and You know, the 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 truth is that all that all of that has been on this autopilot of impersonating the person I thought I needed to be to survive. I'm still the kid my mother gave the talk to, who said, Mm -hmm. You do these things in order to survive and make it home. Doing those things robbed me of so much of myself. Yeah, it's like the story works until it
1: doesn't. It gets you home for a little while, and it also has all the other things
0: attached to it. Yeah, 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 you're still punching the sky. Yeah, you're still punching. Yeah, it, yeah. You're, you're still holding that rage, and then where does it go? You know. Yeah. And um, I'm 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 finally. I think uh, this is this is a word for the myth in in my community in the black community for for years people said no we don't go to counseling we go to church <laughs> you, don't, you don't talk to a psychologist you should talk to your pastor kind of thing uh, well I'm here to say no no go to a professional <laughs> 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 Pastor can't pray this away it, and that's all good I mean pray yeah, sure. pray for me pastor right I do it all the time I'm the pastor now. Uh, but I, I send a whole lot of people to professionals. And um, the last maybe seven months of my life, where I finally um, sat down with someone across from me, and uh, my own doctor, Phil, mm-hmm. you know, finally uh, has unlocked all of these things. Uh, the The piece that I wrote about my mother, that's entitled "My Mother Always Whispered the Words White People," even when white people weren't around, um, came out of that work, out of me digging out yeah. my truth and who I truly am and 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 turning now and saying that um uh, even as a person who believes in providence you know believes in God um I, I want to live the life that i am um capable of living if i live it 100% authentically myself and i've never had the courage to do that until recently truthfully and it's changing everything i'm people around me are are all sh- a little shook you know, uh, they know that I know you, so they're going, okay, he's going to go full Rob. He's going to... You're going to be calling him you Black know, Black Rob. Well... Any, man, any man,
1: you know, He's going full Rob. Hey, it, I mean, it can't compare to going full Jeff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, I've, I've done full Jeff. Full Jeff.
1: Full if you've Jeff. gone full Jeff, full Rob is like easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can we... A couple. Can I do some speed round questions here sure. at the
0: end? But it's me, so...
1: In the current... <laughs> in the current thing in the air the the current uh conversation internet uh racism systemic racism police brutality what is the thing that comes up that when you see it somebody's spouting off about it somebody pushing back somebody what is the thing that you makes you the most like that is not the ah just makes you like that is the thing that everybody misses they don't understand the real issue is this that everybody's focused on that but it's actually this that should be talked about what is the thing that you most say to joanne ah.
0: oh my you, you had to ask me that all right there's the the answer yeah and then there's the, the real answer right? well you know what we're doing here right 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 all right so uh a few a few a couple years ago um oh you said speed round All right, so uh, I was going to talk about Watchmen, (laughs) a phenomenal piece of uh, of art that was done a couple years ago. Um, And it was about the Tulsa race riots, the Tulsa massacre. And then afterwards, in in a reimagined future, Robert Redford becomes the uh, president of the United States and institutes Redfordations, reparations for people who were uh, the descendants of those who were massacred. There and you could go and you could uh, just put a, uh, something up and it was really, really electronically done well and everything. And the technology was way amazing, kind of near future, and and people were protesting these red redfloodations. This red uh, the 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 elephant in the room is this notion that it is uh, that we are post-racism and that we're post the effects of slavery on this country um, in in creating inequity among people, in particular people of color and, black, and, and, and even more particularly black people. And, and the, the, the notion of 40 acres and a mule and that being a dream deferred and, and a, 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 a check that wasn't cashed. The notion of, of reparations for people who had gone to internment camps, Asians who had gone to internment camps, and, and there not being anything done for 400 years of being set back and letting the world build on your back is rather ludicrous. And yet, um, I I mentioned this before. I I was talking about this the other day. Um, We are now in in an era. uh, My mother died thinking that Obama becoming president was a miracle that would change everything. And all it did was expose everything. It, it, it ripped the, the cover off of racism that had morphed. Racism is a shape shifter. It, it doesn't stay the same. It, it changes, and it, it changes into institutionalized things. It changes into to um, money that some people can get and some people can't get it, and places you can uh, get property and not get property, or, or opportunities to, to network with folks overseas that you can't get otherwise. Um, racism had morphed, and was running along just fine. Everything was fine. And then you put a person of color, you put a black man in the White House, and it just sets this bomb off of overt, you add to that also uh, social media and algorithms and the ability to like give people only what they think yeah uh, is right or only what they've been fed and continually feed, it, feed them. All that's happening the same time is a perfect storm that rips the cover off of the fact that we're still these these two countries, this two this two, these two countries, separate and unequal. We still are exactly that. We still segregated. We're still, there's still great, great inequity and, and inequality um, built into our system. And, and what it created was a group of people who want to preserve that, who now unabashedly and outwardly can say that. Like I can, I can just say it, you know. Uh, and a group of people who are fighting really hard to 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 make things better or make things equitable. and And so now you have um, television networks and blogs and personalities who all can feed you either side of that. and and it's 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 maddening because because truly, if you could just step back from it for a little bit, you'll say, all right. Here are people who have been for millennia systematically kept down or back with exceptions, a few exceptions relatively. There's something that needs to be done. Um, I don't know how you do that now because the truth is that the bill would be so high that I don't even know if our, our economy could handle what is owed to people to black people in particular in this country um for yeah for all the free labor and for all the jim crow and for mass incarceration you can go on and on and on um but something needs to happen um i think they've they've decided that there's going to be a commission to study it
1: <laughs> Well, it's, yeah. i mean if you look at the cost of the iraq and the afghanistan wars your i mean some estimates put it at 11 trillion yeah. so we are able to spend massive amount of monies of certain amount of things. Look, so.
0: smarter people than me can figure out <laughs> how to do it yeah. and, and how it happens and who gets it and all yeah, yeah, I mean yeah. all that kind of but the idea that this is a debate. The the idea that
1: Okay that's that, that's what I wanted to that's, that's what I wanted push Matt. you on and, understand and get the fact that this you're like obviously th- that there are Details and but the the idea that this wouldn't be just an obvious thing to be discussed and explored for you is like incomprehensible. It's maddening. I mean, yeah, it, okay. you know, and yeah, yeah, you know,
0: again, yeah. a year ago, I'd be I'd be talking about well, we still have Jesus in stained glass in white. He's, Jesus is a white man in stained glass all over the country, and, and that, that's the problem. I do think that's an issue, by the way. I I, I wrote about it in that in that same op ed. I talk about you know. Jesus is not white, and the idea that we create these white, blue-eyed Jesuses that people would believe it, that's God incarnate. Well, that, that's a problem, and there's all kinds of things that go with it. But that's, just, that's a totally different ball game in the world from what we're talking about now. Which it's is
1: interesting to see big. your evolution from, hey, uh, newsflash, Jesus wasn't white, which is kind of Captain Obvious, but also mm-hmm. needs to be said in certain places. Yeah. It's interesting, the Christian Washington evolution from that to, okay... Uh, Reparations has to be something, of some sort or shape or form, or somebody somewhere has to study. Like the your own evolution on all this is fascinating.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, and and I think about it takes me all the way back to Compton. It takes me all the way back to how I grew up and how separate and unequal that was. Yeah, and how schools were definitely not the same as they were in Beverly Hills or in Hollywood Hills or in a, or Baldwin Hills. Even um, they were they weren't there was that kind of. The only way to put it is is intentional.
1: Yeah, uh, the plane field's tilted. To,
0: yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's yeah. it intentional, and and the resources just didn't come that way. What if they did? You know, I'm. I, everybody, you know, Kristen knows. We all know somebody who's smarter than us, more athletic than us, better looking than us, who grew up with us, who who who's still there, or dead, or worse. And I know lots of those folks who just didn't get the opportunities. I had Edna Marlborough saw something in me and sent me to Andover and it changed everything. It changed. It allowed me to see, took some scales off. I could see yeah. what was possible. Uh, and I try my best to this day to do that same thing for other people, to, to tell them what's possible, to show them what's possible, to, to point them in directions they may not see. But in the wealthiest country in the world, the resources are there where we, that shouldn't be these rarefied places that aren't where you are. You know, so why do we have homeless people in this country? Why do we have hungry people in this country? And in my, and and also why do we have any school that doesn't work in the public system? You know, that why, why is that? Why, you know, and why are the majority of them in places that we would call inner cities or ghettos or, places where people of color are, are congregated. To me, um, this is not an issue that started yesterday. It's not an issue that started this year or that last year or in this decade, or this is something that goes back 400 years and there is something we can do about it. Um, again, I, I'll leave it to people who are smarter than me and, and understand, uh, government accounting better than I do. (laughs) You know, (laughs) we print money in this country, I think, but, uh, (laughs) But it 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 it, it, it's, it goes past me that bringing this up, you know, you, I'm going to hear about this. You know, when I get home to Texas, I'm going to hear about this, and and I'm going to get the L word just plastered all over me. I'm a liberal. I've actually had people write write Wait, letters. The li-
1: liberals of the L
0: word. The L, the L word is liberal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah, and that it yeah, you get painted with that one what? boy. Watch out. Oh my god. Uh but the uh, a progressive liberal uh but someone called me a Marxist wrote a letter recently and and <laughs> said that I was doing I was teaching Marxist proto-Marxist theories and um, oh, and there's a you know under, under underlying critical race theory and he's bringing up Gutierrez too much so this this you know Gutierrez was was communist and You know, so it's, you know, that stuff. Unbelievable. Yeah. So there's, but I, but I can, I can actually stand here in my truth and say that doesn't bother me anymore. And, um, and it's a place we need to, it's a place where more people like me need to get to, you know, where, um. Um, I'm thankful for this forum. I'm thankful for the opportunity to say this where people will hear it. Um, but I said, as I said before, a year ago I could not have had this. We could not have done this. I would have been much safer and been much more. Uh, you
1: would have had a little more of a voice on your shoulder, a little more of an editor on the shoulder, a little more of a, how will this play? Uh huh. Exactly and right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, man, oh man, man,
0: I'm oh, so man. glad we're friends. I am too, man. I am too. You know the 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 things I've always wanted to say <laughs> that I that I almost never Nick, get to say you because you're real busy. I'm busy. We we don't I'm get a chance. To like no way. I don't do busy. Oh, okay. Well, mm-hmm. you you're booked. And um, <laughs> how's that? You know, <laughs> I don't even do book. You're booked. Go on. But in those moments when you can, you know, ride your bike around and have a taco with me, uh, the the thing I wanted to uh, I, I always wanted to ask you this. <laughs> okay. Let's go. Because you do this, I mean, I'm going to. I'm going to. For those of you of people of color who listen to the Robcast, this is for you. All right. So Rob, <laughs> many times your references
1: mm-hmm.
0: are so white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, like, oh yeah, like you'll tell talk to me about the band Joseph, and I'm sitting there going, ooh, ooh, oh, the band Joseph. They're they're a lot like I don't know, like Depeche Mode. Ooh, what? <laughs> Every and you know, good music, great music. I, like, who, like, has, like has anybody
1: on planet Earth ever said the band Joseph is a lot like Depeche Mode? My point exactly. Yes, exactly. I, I was, was just no, gonna say I have no The point I'm no. making there is your point.
0: <laughs> my point exactly. It, it's it's <laughs> hilarious. So so this is my call because I cause the thing about it is I know you love great music. You love music. So you could you can you can uh, you know can mix in a. Uh, I don't know Miles Davis, or you can mix in. Uh, but actually, that's, that's an assumption. Have you listened to much like black music, urban music, over the years? Um, and what you? What are your thoughts on that? I just I remember two
1: thousand three or four ish. It was very important to me that my boys grew up hearing all kinds of music. Uh, so I distinctly remember introducing them to James Brown. Um, not a bad start. I remember playing them Mavis Staples over oh. and over. I love Mavis Staples. Like,
0: did you see Summer of Soul? Is
1: that that? Is that a film? Oh my gosh! That's is that the it's um, out now. It's
0: Quest a, Love film. Quest Love's film uh, happened the same year. I saw year a trailer and, for it. Happened the same year as Woodstock. Woodstock becomes a cultural phenomenon. This Harlem concert right, series, right,
1: right, and he edited together that footage. And I, I read a piece about
0: it, and I mean, it's Stevie it's great. Wonder, and it's it's David Ruffin, it's Sly and the Family Stone, it's Nina Simone. Mm. I mean, go on, Abby Lincoln and Max Roach. It was, it was incredible that, that they could put all this together, and it was never seen until last year. But uh, Mavis Staples uh, gets to sing with her idol. Uh, Mahalia Jackson.
1: I love Mahalia Jackson. Uh, We're gonna walk in Jerusalem, uh, talk in Jerusalem. That oh, God, amazing!
0: You got to see it. You got to see it. Uh, Okay, uh, because when Mahalia Jackson passes the mic to Mavis Staples, who at the time could have been twenty years old, let's go. Forget about it.
1: Um, This is why you're my friend. Make me playlist. I'm saying. Educate me.
0: I'm saying. Yeah, you
1: can ask me the question on the Robcast, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna put it right back in. Send me a playlist. I'm sending your playlist. Okay, here's what I want you to do: I want you to give me a playlist of ever the starter kit. that You think the starter kit for me?
0: Uh, it, I'm i you know, and I know I'm not gonna be the only one. It's gonna you're gonna get flooded with folks <laughs> saying, "Have you ever heard of?" I mean, it's gonna go all the way from muddy waters to people are gonna say, "Have you heard of like I don't know her, who's oh who's yeah the yeah right yeah the, the, the oh, people, yeah people like that right now." Uh, oh yeah, and Violet all, and I this and morning. The playlist
1: this morning was Kendrick Lamar, um, followed by Frank Ocean, followed by uh, oh t-
0: oh we Tyler. a
1: lot of Tyler creator in our house.
0: So you got the Odd Future. Yeah, quotes. I think the New Young
1: Thug album was fantastic. So actually, the, the I mean there was some some that I introduced the kids to, but now. 95% of the music I listen to is the is what the family is playing.
0: And you would be very happy. I gotta ask you a question I ask a lot of people uh, when I get a chance to. A lot of white people when I get a Have you ever been pulled over by the cops? Do you wanna know the truth? Yeah. Well, of course you wanna know the truth.
1: Yes, I do. Multiple times. You know what happened almost every time what? in Michigan? Yeah. Yeah, I bet I do. Here's know. the truth. What
0: what what happened? No, go ahead and tell me though. I wanna hear, I want to hear it from you. They
1: got my driver's license. And they knew who my dad was. Yeah. So that's.
0: And how so many times? Well, how many times did that happen where you were actually in the wrong at the moment? For some, oh God, I was.
1: Every time. I, Kristen, just now. Kristen's in the back house and just went every time. <laughs> Christian, I have been going so fast. Speeds a lot. And the second they see the license, Robert Holmes Bell Jr., Robert Holmes Bell Sr., Judge. Have a nice night. hand me a license back to the car and you are like literally
0: going twice the speed limit or something.
1: Why do you think I'm so curious about all these all of these issues? I am well aware of my lineage, what I come from mm-hmm. so so if there's some small way I can hit record and in some small way, whatever it is that people are listening to that I do, you can tell what it's been like to be you that's you can see.
0: Very important to me. I appreciate that. I mean, uh, oh, oh, I I happen to also I knew who your dad. I knew about your dad.
1: Yeah. So I. I but it I, doesn't even have to be
0: a dad who's a judge.
1: Oh no! I, yeah, you right. Know, I understand what you're you asking, know, but I'm that, just saying no. Yeah. I had it. I had it extra.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely had an extra. Uh, I've I've been in the car with a white friend, and the white friend um, is intoxicated. Right, and we get pulled over, he's driving. And I just sit there and say nothing. I get the light shine on me, they shine a light on him. He's three sheets, Is, is I don't know the right term. Is it 10 sheets or three? Uh, it's, it's sheets to the wind. He's sheeted, <laughs> he's fully sheeted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you yeah. watched, yeah, 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 yeah. And And drive a little slower, get home safe. And I'm sitting there thinking, I would have been on the street getting the breathalyzers, walking, walking the plank, and probably even before all that, I would have been probably cuffed in, in the back of a car. Mm-hmm. Um, just on just on general principles, of just getting stopped. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's real, and it still it still happens to this day. Yeah. yeah. And I, I I know
1: I speak for lots of people. We know we grew up in an alternate reality yeah and that's why we have so many questions of our friends like you is help just help us understand help us understand what we missed help us understand what we're missing now what was it like to be you uh, uh I I I know I speak for lots of people who are that's where it starts the awareness is where it starts
0: what is it like to be your friends who would not agree with anything we're talking about or people that you grew up with who would not agree with anything we're talking about. Where does that that where does that come from? That the idea that I can cuss I can cuss the, the cop out. I can tell the cop, you know, you know, get away from me and what have you and and get home safe and it's completely okay or not a non-issue that Christian can't. You see what I'm asking you? I'm trying to just I don't get to ask questions of folks who keep going. Who who who, um who grew up that grew up in a way where it was normalized to not even see that as privilege or see that as anything other than just that's just the way the world is. What does that make you think of me? Or what does that make you think of the the difference in that? that Wait, wait,
1: wait. Your question is your question is about people who these issues aren't even remotely interesting,
0: or it's just
1: I mean, I think for so many people, deep, deep primal fear about the other and the unknown mm. is so baked into the ecosystem that they're a they're hundred miles from even base levels of curiosity. It's get what you have, stockpile it, protect it. And their entire conditioning has been around there's somebody somewhere who's going to try to take your stuff. Hmm. So it's so deep, conditioned, almost in the cells, that it's like a reflex or an instinct. Now for and me, and, and yeah. the dominant lens is separation. All of creation, separation. There's this over here and there's this. There's this person and me. There's this group and this group. And th- that is why so much of my work is... About introducing people to a starting point of unity and wholeness. Everything is related to everything else. Everything is spiritual. If Mm. this person's hungry, then we're all hungry. That this thing that you can push away, it will come back around to you at some point. Mm. If these folks are struggling, it's all taking place within a whole. That's why I'm always saying everything is spiritual. Everything happens within a whole, one whole. And all of the parts and all of the divisions are simply parts and divisions within a larger oneness. So whatever it is that feels like it's theirs, it's them, it's that thing, it is also yours. And the myth of separation is Hmm. uh, there's a growing gap of uh, wealth inequality and that's their problem, not mine. No, it's actually ours. And I mean, you obviously have all sorts of new research now. If there's a widening gap between rich and poor, in that country, life expectancy goes down for the wealthy. So we we really are. I mean, we actually have new data about this. So that's why I just keep saying everything is spiritual. All parts happen within holes. If you tell your story, you're also telling our story and I ought to pay attention because ultimately everything does have something to do with me. And the dominant conditioning for most people was that's them. Somebody's trying to take your thing. Protect your stash, and it is all built on a particular lens, a paradigm, whatever you want to call it, that
0: actually isn't true. Uh, last question for me, and it's it has to do is uh, with the Jesus story. Yes, because you're you're steeped in it like I am. Yeah. Um, how does that story jive with what you just said? The the separation. Yeah. The I'm going to protect mine, and yeah. you know, I yeah, got yeah. mine, get yours and I'm going to see this division and this separation as, in some cases, even divine. You know. Uh, oh, right, right. It, it gets following?
1: sanctified, it gets militarized, it gets... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I came into the Jesus story through hearing these stories when I was a kid, and whenever there's a group of people who have pushed somebody to the edge, in the Jesus story, he always goes to the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it did not... I did not come into the the Jesus story through like a doctrine or a list of statements or a bunch of stuff that you're supposed to believe. I came into it through these stories that resonated at some deep level for me with how things are. Some, God, I picked up, man, it was way back, some sense that whatever conventional wisdom was separating people was to be distrusted. Because... Ultimately, everybody is a brother and sister. Uh, um, that that almost pre-rationally imprinted upon me. Meaning, it's this feeling as much as anything else. This whole thing. There's one planet. There's us humans. Um, I remember. I remember. Oh, I don't know how long ago this was. The fact that the U.S. has stockpiled nuclear weapons to blow up the Earth multiple times. Just thinking. It hitting me how completely insane that is, and why isn't everybody talking about this all the time? And that that is actually central to the Jesus lineage, just calling out the insanity of any system <laughs> that weaponizes, that institutionalizes the destruction of anybody anywhere, because it was always about new creation. So this story, God, honestly, Christian, it, it grounds me and centers me more than ever. It radicalizes me. Um, it gives me a uh, stories, images, and ways t- to incarnate big ideas like justice, love, hope, resistance, trust, generosity. Because you you need an incarnation. Otherwise, you're just you're just spouting off cliches on Instagram. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like you need a lineage. You need so that's why I always tell people like you you don't want to be that religion or you don't want to be like fine, fine, fine. But a lineage some accrued collective wisdom that has accumulated over the ages, find one. Because it gives you like a starting point, it gives... And obviously you need one that embraces the truth and wisdom of all lineages, but it's really helpful. So yeah, it shapes to this day. It shapes... It shapes... And obviously, and I've talked about this a a lot, like the, the word Christian and the... all all of that sort of stuff. I mean, the word Christian for you is lovely, but (laughs) this idea of creating a name for a group of people over against everybody else seems to be the last thing, obviously was the last thing Jesus came (laughs) to do. So um, I find that he subverts the obvious violent narratives of the empire, but he also subverts the people who cling to him as just a way to sanctify... The separation all over again, so he mm-hmm. always invites you to a new creation that will always disrupt the present creation.
0: And, yeah, and for me, that's the good news.
1: Always
0: good news, but it does not always. But it does not bode well for the church as we
1: know it. Oh, there will always be something that needs to die. <laughs> it's always how it's going to work. It's just let the thing that needs to die die, so whatever it wants to be born, born. Yeah, and I mean, I obviously, I, I obviously. The idea that that a church is a building was always a ridiculous idea to me. I, I always was much more about two or three, which would be you and I talking. Well, you know, here we are. So where's, Where, communion? What else is this? where's communion? What is this? <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere. Here, I'm pointing, pointing all around the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and I always, always default to just keep asking questions. Yeah. See what there is to learn. Make whatever changes are right in front of you. Keep following it. See where it leads.
0: Well, probably like a lot of people. I I have no idea exactly why we cross paths or why we just won't let each other go. (laughs) But I'm thankful, man. I'm thankful, man. Just, um, we've had moments that have made a major effect, major effect on my life Mm. Um, and, and my marriage and, um, you don't get to say this to a person's face too much, but thank you, mm. especially since we're in, a, in a, a public forum here. But um, thank you, because you've always been Rob to me. You've always been the same. You haven't changed on me. You haven't ever treated me any differently, and I don't think I've ever treated you any differently than in any, any, any given time. And um, and you've made every moment we've had together count. And that's that to me. If there's nothing else I get from you, it's make every moment count. Know, with people so if it's if it's me and you right now this is what this is what's important this and what is the matters. only thing we're doing this right is now. the only thing we're doing right yeah. now and this yeah. is it this and and it matters yeah uh and and i've tried i've tried to i've tried to take that into more parts of my life um, beautiful as, as a result beautiful of it. um so that's the the quick platitude and feels that's that not
1: doesn't feel like a platitude from this <laughs> Side of the man, desk. I love you, man. <laughs> love you so much. Oh my goodness! This, when I had you coming here and asking you all those questions, this is what I had in mind. Only it's way beyond it. Oh come it's on! Fantastic. Really? All right. Um, are can people? Uh, if people want to find you. Can they do that?
0: Uh, I'm Christian Washington. Speaks on all the platforms. So uh, just, just
1: just start googling that Christian, Christian Washington, Washington speaks. speaks
0: uh, and you will find him yeah, uh, on an
1: internet near you.
0: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you know, Christian Washington. I you, you, love hard it. Hard to find, hard to miss me there.
1: I love it. Oh, man. See Robcast friends? I knew that you would meet Christian and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. We could be friends. Thanks so much.
0: That's uh, been great. Thank you.
1: Grace and peace, everyone.